You're listening to another life-transforming message from Awakened Church with campuses in San Diego and Salt Lake City. To find out more about us, go to awakenedchurch.com. In your Bibles to the book of Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12 is not a normal kind of uh, scripture that we go to when we're in a relationship series. <laughs> Revelation is usually where you go to in an apocalyptic series in an end time sci-fi series. But we're going to be in Revelation anyway because that's just how my funky brain works. So Revelation chapter 12, the title of my message tonight is Endangered Species. Endangered Species. So Revelation 12, it should make sense in a moment. Revelation 12 says, Now a great sign appeared in heaven. A woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a garland of 12 stars. Then being with child, she cried out in labor pain and in pain to give birth. And another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a a great fiery red dragon having seven heads and 10 horns and seven diadems on his heads. His tail drew a third of the stars of heaven and threw them to the earth. And the dragon stood before the woman who was ready to give birth to devour her child as soon as it was born. To devour her child as soon as it was born. Now, I don't want to sidetrack, but I do just want to uh, put this out there for you to understand that uh, the, the, the Bible, this, this was written by the apostle John. Jesus had 12 disciples that became the apostles. And this was written by the apostle John when he was banished. He was exiled to a little island off uh, Crete called Patmos. Patmos. The reason that they banished him there is because they tried thrice, three times to kill him and they couldn't kill him. The last time they tried to boil him in oil thinking that'll fix him. And they look back and he's like scrubbing his back and... Man, look at my complexion. And uh, that's better than oil of you, land. And when they realized they couldn't kill the apostle John, he would not die. They ended up banishing him to the Isle of Patmos. So while he's, he has the, the, uh, the vision that he writes down that is the book of Revelation, it is phenomenal because he sees future events and he writes them in a past tense. That's why the Bible is unlike any, it's different to the Quran. The Quran has no prophetic different to the Bhagavad Gita, different to the writings of Buddha and Confucius. And the, the, Bible, the Bible speaks with authority prophetically as though the God who wrote it is the God who created time. Just like time is a trinity, yesterday, today, and tomorrow, in the same way your God lives in your past, He is operating in your present, and He's sorting out your future. Can somebody say amen? And so the God of the future can tell you what's going to happen. So the Bible is fiercely accurate. Not only that, but you will find that uh, a great sign appeared in heaven. I'm not sure whether you realize this, you probably do, that there are 12 uh, star signs. There are 12 constellations. 12 is the number of government. 12 is the number of government. There are 12 hours that govern govern the day. There are 12 hours that govern the night. There are 12 months on a calendar year that govern the, the year. There were 12 tribes of Israel. There were 12 apostles. There are 12 disciples. 12 is all the way through. 12 is the number of government. What's interesting about the cosmos is the entire gospel is preached by the cosmos. We don't have time, but I'll do it another time. Revelation 12 verse 1 actually tells you the birth of Jesus. It tells you the day. There was, a, there was a moment when Virgo, the virgin, 
was in the sky and she was clothed with the sun. The sun was, was, was in, her, in her abdomen and uh, she had uh, the moon under her feet and over her head a garland of 12 stars and it's a sp specific day, 3 BC. That was when Jesus was, was born. And, uh, but at the same time, the, the serpent, the, the dragon, was, was so construed in the, in the constellations that, she, that he was before the, ch the child to devour the child. The gospel is preached everywhere. The gospel is preached everywhere. But it's interesting that the devil wants to devour the child who was to be born, verse five. She bore a male child who was to rule all nations with a rod of iron, and her child was caught up to God and to his throne. Then the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God, that they should feed her there 1,260 days, and war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon and his angels fought back, but they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives, everyone say deceives, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Who deceives the whole world, who deceives the whole world, he was cast to the earth and his angels were cast out with him. Then I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, now salvation, strength and the kingdom of God and the power of his Christ have come for the accuser of our brethren who accused them before our God day and night has been cast down and they overcome him by the blood of the lamb, by the word of their testimony, they do not love their lives to the death. Therefore rejoice, O heavens and you who dwell therein, but woe to the inhabitants of the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows that he has a short time. Amen. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this word and I thank you, Lord, for these beautiful people. And I thank you that tonight is a night of breakthrough in the house down here at East Lake Campus, Father. Lord, awaken the power, the presence, and the potential of God in each life tonight, I ask in Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Tonight I wanna to talk to you about the endangered species, which is the family, which is the family. Uh, Plato said, as it goes with the family, so goes the nation. Today in medical science, they, uh, they have discovered that people can have a genetic disposition towards certain disorders that there can be a genetic disposition towards certain maladies or diseases, that somebody may have a, a genetic disposition that produces diabetes or uh, heart disease or cancer, that, that, that it comes all the way down to a rogue gene, a rogue genetic. It's interesting because the devil does the same thing in society. The way that you take down a body is you get into the cell. The way you take down a nation is you get into the very, very nucleus, the very DNA, the very genetic code, the cells of what holds a nation together and it's the family. Satan hates the family. The reason Satan hates the family is because the family is an earthly reflection of God. God looked down and he said, let us make man in our image. Elohim, God, Elohim. The word Elohim is a single word, but it is plural. The word family, if I talk about Mike and Katie's family, I'm talking about a single family. I'm talking singular, but yet it's plural because a family means more than one. The family is a reflection of God. God said, let us make man in our image. God is a family. The Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost is a family. God wanted you because he wanted to 
to have more kids in his family. That's why God created you. He created you to fellowship and be part of his family. Uh, family's a trinity. When, when Mike and Katie got married, they were not yet a family. They were just a married couple. They were a married couple. But as soon as they had a baby, as soon as little Yergi Jaeger, sorry, Zeke came along, they were now a family, father, mother, child, trinity. And so the devil hates the family unit because he wants to destroy nations. He wants to create misery. So the reason that we do relationship series and the reason that we're doing this series known is because we want you to know what the Bible says about family. And the reason that we want you to know what the Bible says is because when you follow what the Bible says, your life will flourish. We saw here that Satan has been cast into the earth. But I want you to know he's not hiding in a cave or he's not ambushing people and scaring them. You know, he comes out every Halloween. Uh, the Bible says who deceives the whole world. One of the problems with deception is you don't know if you're deceived. So you can be believing that something's true only to discover that it's not true. That's why we have to be preachers of truth. We have to be preachers of truth. We have to, we have to tell the truth. Because only Jesus said you will know the truth and the truth will make you free because Satan has been cast into the earth and he's a deceiver, he's a liar. Why does he deceive? Because he's a destroyer. The Bible, is in, Bible introduces him in the book of Revelation as first a deceiver and then a destroyer. Before he's a destroyer, he's a deceiver, but he deceives with the intent to destroy. But you know what? Thank God, right here in San Diego, God has placed a church that is unafraid and unashamed to preach to you what the Bible says. Because let me tell you, this young man at 18 years of age met Jesus Christ on a beach and I was so jacked up, man. I was so messed up when, when I received Christ. But when Christ came into my life, I said, you know what? I lived 110 miles an hour in the world for the world. And now I had this encounter that I had no drug, no alcohol, no experience I've ever had could fill that void on the inside. I'm going to live 110 miles an hour for you, Jesus. And if you say it in your word, I'm just going to believe that it's true. And I got to tell you, my life got better and better and better and better and better. We're, we're to the point now where I pinch myself, like, can this really be real? But I'm telling you, it's not undergirded by my effort. It's undergirded by the truth and the power that God's word is what he says it is. It is his unfailing, infallible word. Can somebody say amen? So, so today I want to talk about, you know, family. So I want to give you three quick thoughts. I want, to, I want to pray at the end of each one of those. So there's an impartation and a breakthrough. Point number one is become, become. It was August 15, 1992. I remember uh, my best friend was driving my mother's car. She had a sunroof and I was standing up on, on the passenger seat through the sunroof in my tuxedo with my arms in the air going, I'm getting married. And I thought I was pretty pumped until we came to a traffic line. As we came to a traffic line, there was a whole bunch of men who were just staggered out of a pub. And I went, I'm getting married. And then one of the guys goes, don't do it, run. And I'm like, what the heck? And I remember sitting down thinking, what does he mean? And then all of a sudden, I got, I had this wash come over me like, oh shoot. Cause like about maybe a month before I decided I wanted a brand new surfboard, but I couldn't afford both food and a surfboard. Food and a surfboard. So being responsible, I chose the surfboard. 
I just thought, hey, I'll fast. I've got a surfboard and points with God. Hello. But man, I was so flipping hungry that week. And then I thought, I can't do that anymore because I've got someone who's now come and all of a sudden I've got this rush that went over me. I'm like, oh, someone's now totally dependent on me. I'm like, oh, God. And, and, and I, anyway, get to the church and, and then, you know, the, uh, Pastor Steve Kelly officiated our wedding and, and I remember the part where he says, you know, the exchange, the vows, and I'm shaking and then finally gets, I now pronounce you husband and wife. You may kiss the bride and then, you know, can I present to you the, and we walk down the aisle and on that day, I became Leanne's husband. But I've got to be honest, this year will be 28 years and I'm still learning how to become what I became. I became her husband on paper. I became her husband in title. But in the, the words of the prophet William Wallace, <laughs> men don't follow titles, they follow courage. And if you just lead these men, they'd follow you. And so would I. I, I realized that I had the title of husband, but I realized that I was producing dysfunction because I didn't know how to be a husband. I remember 1997, we'd been married five years and we were just fighting. I was doing the best that I can. I was, you know, trying to use the Bible as best I could to manipulate and control. <laughs> the Bible says, submit woman. And how many people know that is never gonna go over well? And uh, one time we had a massive argument and uh, I, I don't know why I do this here. You guys always make me feel like I'm in a living room. This is being live streamed. <laughs> it's going all around the world, but you're like, yeah, come on, tell us how you real. <laughs> we, <laughs> we had an argument one time and Leanne was so worked up in this argument. I thought, I wonder if this is still Leanne. I'm thinking this might, this might be a demon. So I just thought, I'll just try it out. So halfway through the argument, I said, come out. Oh, yeah. Oh, you know who came out, right? Law and order came out. She beat the living snot out of me. Don't you dare, you know, and... Uh, but I, I was so, I was so messed up. So 1997, we have this massive argument and, and uh, you know, we, and we literally got to the end. So I go on this prayer walk and I've told you before, and I'm just gonna abbreviate the story, but I go on this prayer walk and I'm throwing Leanne under the bus and I'm thinking it's all her, which is usually what happens in a relationship. We always think it's the other person. And, uh, and then God just speaks to me so clearly and says, Jurgs, your wife is a product of your husbandry. Oh, what? I didn't want to hear that. And honestly, I thought God would be on my team. I'm like, God, come on, man. You're a boy. Boys stick together because God's a boy's name. I'm thinking, come on, God, we've got to stick together, man. Why do you keep, why do you keep kind of siding with Leanne against that? But he was right. And then he just began to show me. Do you know the word husband comes from the word husbandry? Husbandry is somebody who has a field or a farm and causes that field or farm to produce, to produce life and to produce fruit. 
That's what the word husbandry means. It's an old English term. So we live in a world today where apparently a man can have a husband. Apparently a man can have a husband. But according to the Bible, a man can't have a husband. A man can't have a husband because a husband is somebody who gives seed into a field that reproduces, that takes that seed and produces life and produces fruit. It's interesting uh, when you read the Bible, which I always recommend, by the way. Um, the Bible says that God formed Adam from the, from the ground. The Hebrew word for ground is the word Adam, Adamah. So God took Adam, Adam, from the Adamah. The word Adamah is in the, the Hebrew female. Why would it be female? We refer to the earth as Mother Earth because God called the earth Adamah because God would put His seed into the earth. The Bible says, and the Lord God caused every tree to grow, every herb of the field, every fruit bearing plant, God put seed into the, the earth is a womb that produces seed. But we, we have a deceiver in the earth lying to people. But if we, if we come back to what, what the Word says. So I, I, found, I found in my life that I didn't have a, a blueprint. I didn't have, and so God began to deal with me, began to speak to me that I need to become, I need to become what I became on paper, that I realise it's a journey. I tell everybody today that the word husband literally means, that the, the word husband literally means man in training. And apparently we never graduate. We never graduate. But let me just say this, that, that the beatings, and sometimes you've got to take a beating, are so good for you. I didn't realise what a selfish, obnoxious jack wagon I was until I got married and had somebody point it out. <laughs> Marriage is the best thing for you. The Bible says, as iron sharpens iron, so a man sharpens the countenance of his friend. I found uh, last year we had past... Uh, Pastor Keith Craft at our men's conference. And he was brilliant. I mean, intimidating, but brilliant. You know, he's six foot six. He's, you know, he's got, you know, guns bigger than the governor of California. The governor looks at Keith Craft and says, have you shot muscles like you? I mean, he's good. I mean, both my legs together don't make up his arm. Like, it's just intimidating. So anyway, so Keith Craft gives all the men homework. Remember the homework? He says, you got to go home after men's conference. I'm thinking, just beat me up at men's conference in every session and then I'm done with it. I can drive home now saying that was a good beating. I'll change. No, oh no, no, no. He says, you got homework. You got to drive home and then you got to get down on one knee. You got to hold your wife's hands. You got to look her in the eyes. You got to ask her a question. And I'm like, I'm going to ask her a question. Where do you want to eat? That's a good question. But no, no, he doesn't even ask the question. We want to ask. He tells us the question. And then he says, and you're not allowed to change the question. The question was, you had to look your wife in the eye, on one knee, holding her hand, and you had to ask her this question, do you feel deeply loved by me? Not, do you know I love you? Do you feel loved? Do you feel deeply, on the way home, it was about an hour from, you know, to, to my house, 
my phone is, just keeps blowing up. I can't do it. I can't do it, man. So literally, literally, by about the eighth call, I said, listen, I don't know how it's going. I'm, now my heart is, you know, I've got butterflies. My heart's palpitating palpitating. So I'm like, you know, I'm like talking to Dr. Matt and some of the other guys going, man, listen, if we all get kicked out, uh, let's just, let's just get a room together. And let's see if we can figure our ish out because man, this is crazy. And, uh, and so I get home and, and, and I said, babe, I, I gotta, I gotta do some homework. And she's like, what? I said, just sit down. And, she, and so I got down and, you know, holding a hand, and I looked her in the eye. She's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? I said, babe, I said, I gotta do this. <sighs> And honestly, my heart is pounding in my chest. And I said, Leanne, do you feel deeply loved by me? And I've never felt so vulnerable in 27 years last year of marriage, never felt so vulnerable. And her, her eyes welled up with tears and she says, I do, but I don't feel honored. And I'm like, oh my gosh. And so my last year has been asking Leanne to teach me what it means for me to honour her. Because listen to me, it was not modelled by my daddy. It was not modelled in my home. All of this is uncharted waters. A great book that, that I've been reading is Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. How to, how to Bring Order Where There's Chaos, incredible book. In that book, he, he talks about a, a neuro, neuropsychological discovery that when you are willing to step out, when you are willing to do something you've never done before, it actually activates DNA and a, a genetic code that begins to reform brand new neural pathways that you've never experienced before. Most people keep doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result, which is the definition of insanity. But if you will allow, and that's why I love even what you know, Bishop TDJ was sharing in the offering, that if you will get out of the boat like Peter, if you will hear from Jesus and step out, Peter hadn't walked on water before. He hadn't almost done it. He hadn't, you know, my, my record is two steps or three. He hadn't been there before. He did something for the very first time. When was the last time you did something for the first time? God will always get you to step out, but you gotta be willing to become, come on somebody, you gotta be willing to become maybe what, what you are on paper, but you're not there yet. Anybody not there yet like me? Come on. Come on, if, if, that's, if you know that's a word for you, just lift a hand high because I want to pray. Father, I thank you right now. Let the anointing, let the power of the Holy Ghost. You know, the most beautiful thing about this life is we are all on a journey. While we're alive, we never arrive. While we're alive, we never arrive, but it doesn't stop us from journeying. And Father, we want to journey with you. I pray for every marriage. I pray for every person today in Jesus' name that your hand would be upon them, that your favor would be toward them in Jesus' name. Everyone said... Amen. All right. Can I, can I just be um, a little bit naughty on there? The Bible says, Proverbs 18, 24, he who finds a wife finds a good thing. He who finds a wife. I want you to notice it and say, he who finds a smoking hottie. He who finds a chicky babe. Doesn't say he who finds a spouse, he who finds a girlfriend. He who finds somebody good looking. It says, he who finds a wife. The only way that you can find a wife means that you had to be a husband. Because she can't be a wife unless there's a husband. 
So let me just say this, God began to deal with me and He said, listen, you, you gotta help people because they've been hijacked by the deceiver, which is the spirit of this world, even in church. Because what we do in church is, is we make a list. We make a list, and this is my list, that, that this is my, what my ideal spouse is gonna, he's gonna be this tall, and he's gonna look like this, and, and you know, she's gonna have this, and she's gonna be that, and, and we make a list of what we want the other person to be. And God says, That's, they've got it all wrong. Why don't you instead reverse the list, and for you to find a wife means that you first have to be a husband. Why don't you make a list of all the qualities that make a great husband? And you'll find wife, 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 wife. It's amazing how they'll come out. Or if you're looking for a husband, what does, what are the good qualities of, begin to put those things into your life. It is amazing. What, we're, we're so busy trying to get other people to change. The only person you've got authority over is you, is moi. Become. Number two. Number two is follow God's recipe. Follow God's recipe. You know, one of my favorite stories uh, is Pastor Drew. When, you know, Pastor Drew and Emma Davies, I always laugh my head off when he tells the story of his best friend that got fired from McDonald's. He had a buddy who got a job at McDonald's and within four weeks was let go. Who gets let go from McDonald's? His friend. And so Drew was perplexed. He says, dude, how on earth did you get let go from McDonald's? And you know how he got let go? Because he says, whoa, they got mad because I was putting my, a little spin on all the recipes. <laughs> it's like, what? Yeah. Instead of letting a Big Mac be two all beef patties, special sauce, lettuce, cheese, pickled onions on a sesame seed bun. Oh, no, no, no. He decided he was going to put his own little creative... So people ordering one thing and getting something else. You can't mess with a recipe. Can I just tell you, God has a recipe. God has a recipe. In the book of Genesis, chapter 2, 21 to 24, it says, Therefore, a man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So God has a recipe on how this life works. A man shall leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. I, I don't like that. I think that's discriminating. Well, it gets worse. <laughs> Go to Genesis 6.19. Have a look at Genesis 6.19. God is speaking to Noah in Genesis 6.19. And God says to Noah, and of every living thing, of all flesh, you shall bring two of every sort into the ark to keep them alive with you. They shall be male and female. Oh, don't believe it. God's a, God's a homophobe. God's a, he's discriminating. No, 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 no. He just cares. Because if, 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 if Noah would have brought two male zebras... No more zebras. If we'd have brought two female giraffes, no more giraffes. If we would have brought two male antelopes, no more antelopes. Watch this. We live in a world today, the world 20 years ago was saying, don't listen 
to the voice of God, listen to the voice of science. You know, Darwin, evolution, natural selection. Oh, you know, oh, you got your, your faith. We got science. But this generation says, don't even, don't listen to the voice of God, the Bible, and don't even listen to the voice of science, biology. You're whatever you feel like. Follow your feelings. Do you know, if you said to me, hey, pastor, this year, I want to completely shipwreck my life. You know what advice I give you? Follow your feelings. The deceiver is destroying people because he's telling you, however you feel, just follow it. Follow your feelings. No, no, no. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. The just shall live. If you will, if you will follow God's recipe, this is God's recipe. This is God's recipe for success. If you will follow the Word of God. Do you know that 2,000 years ago, a kid, a little baby that was born in a shed, wasn't even born in the inn. The inn had no room, so that they, they said, well, there's a little shed out the back there. There's a little barn where we got some animals. And so this and little baby is born in a shed at the back of an inn in the tiniest little town called Bethlehem, Bethlehem, which still today only has, you know, a few thousand people there. It's one of the tiniest little towns in one of the tiniest little villages, in the, one of the tiniest little cities, in one of the tiniest geographic locations on the planet. And yet, and yet, that little baby grows up to become a carpenter's son. Well, that's not impressive. There are lots of carpenter's son. I know. But he has the audacity to say, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain fell, the, the floods came up and the wind blew, but the house stood. But whoever hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, I will liken him to a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rains came down, the floods come up and the wind blew and that house fell and great was its fall. Do you know this carpenter's son born in a stable 2,000 years ago. Nations and civilizations today rise and fall dependent upon their acceptance or their rejection of His teaching and of His words. This is what I discovered. I gave my life to Jesus Christ on a beach, January 1986, and I just made a decision that if He said it, I'm gonna try it out, I'm gonna apply it to my life. And I gotta tell you, my life is awesome, not because I was lucky, not because I was in the right place at the right time. My life is awesome because His Word is awesome. Do you realize it never returns to Him void? If you will build your life on the Word of God, God, Jesus says, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man. If you will follow God's recipe, well, that, what about if I've got feelings? I've got feelings. I've got feelings. When I got saved, oh, did I was a mess. I came into the church. I remember me and my best friend, Paul Massey, we're driving home from church and, and, and Paul Massey said, did you hear what the preacher said? I said, oh, not really. I was checking out the, the talent. <laughs> He's like, well, the preacher said, there's no sex till you're married. I'm like, what? I can't wait that long. It's like, oh man, you know, what do you think? <laughs> I came to church, I was a fornicator. Only because I didn't have the chance to be an adulterer. I 
had all kinds of feelings. But Psalm 37 verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord and He'll begin to give you the desires of your heart. All of a sudden I found that as I, as I fell in love with Jesus, as I began to get full of the Holy Spirit, and as I began to, to read and receive the Word of God, not only did He change my feelings, but He put a power on the inside of me to live right. Now that doesn't mean that I don't have days or have moments where the flesh tries to hijack me or take me down a destructive path. But you know what? I know enough and I'm filled enough with the Word of God and the Holy Spirit that I keep choosing sometimes against my flesh to honour God. And I've got to tell you, in 34 years of serving Jesus, I do not have one, one shadow of regret of choosing God, of choosing His Word, choosing His ways. When you obey His Word, when you apply His Word, your life will flourish. Can somebody say Amen. So in, in every, in, in every uh, you know, relationship, you've you got to understand that as you follow God's Word, as you, as you apply God's laws to your life, another thing is disciplining children. Let me just say this. In this book by Jordan Peterson, 12 Rules for Life, he, one of the principles is raise children other people will like. Raise children, other people will like. One of the most annoying things is parents who don't discipline their children. And I gotta tell you, we were there. You know, I remember my, my first kid. Oh, look at him, he's just so cute. Look at him stabbing the little dog in the face with a fork. <laughs> and they're like, no, no, please. We would like it if your child stopped stabbing our dog in the face with his fork. Because to you, it's cute. Whatever they're doing is cute. <laughs> he just pooped in the fridge. <laughs> no, 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 no. It's not cute. It's and and so so there, there there are parents. There are parents. Oh no, no, we don't, we don't, we don't, we don't. You know, we don't spank out. We don't spank because violence begets violence. Okay. No one says you've got to be violent. Yeah, we, 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 don't, we don't spank, we do time out. Oh, brilliant. Brilliant. You know what time out is? Is let them think how to do it next time without getting caught. The reason God put extra padding here is because of... Pain says this was make better choices. Now here's the honest to God truth, don't discipline when you're angry because then you teach them, calm down. And the greatest way to calm down is we would let our children go and select something from the cooking drawer of which we will discipline them with. It is cruel but brilliant. <laughs> right, go and get the wooden, go and select something and I'll beat your eye. And, uh, uh, the whole way. They're opening the drawer, you know. They're pulling out a little brush. Use this, you know. They're pulling out, you know, aluminum foil. What about that? No, you know. By that time, literally, you hardly had to hit them with it. They were already feeling the remorse. Watch this. In this book, incredible. Most parents don't want to discipline their child because they don't want to be the bad guy. Here's the problem. If you will not be the bad guy and discipline your child, you don't remove bad guy from the equation, you transfer it. 
Instead of you as the parent being the bad guy and bringing the discipline, because you abdicate that, you should have been the bad guy, but now it's not removed, it is transferred to them. They don't share, they snatch, they act up, and all of a sudden they are punished by their peers. They are punished at school. Nobody wants to play with them because they don't know how to share. Nobody wants to be around them because they're, they're, they misbehave, they miscreant, and they manipulate. And because you didn't want to be the bad guy, you actually, by default, made them the bad guy. It is amazing. When the Bible says, spare the rod, spoil the child, it's almost like God knows a thing or two. It's amazing how us humans think that we're smarter than God. Come on, somebody, if we follow the recipe... And in the last one minute, <clears throat> number three is break the blame cycle. Break the blame cycle. Adam started it, so it's okay. In Genesis 3 verse 12, God's like, hey, Adam. What the heck, boy? And you know what Adam says? What does Adam say to God? Is it on the screen? Is it not on there? Genesis, Genesis 3.12. God says to Adam, the woman you gave me. It wasn't my fault. The woman you gave me. It's all your fault. Like Adam's a victim. I, I, I wouldn't have eaten the apple. Except the woman you gave me. And God does not let Adam be a victim. He doesn't even give Adam a concession for the fact that she was buck naked. Which to me, I read that. And I'm trying to think, a beautiful woman buck naked offers you an apple. Hello. <laughs> Who am I to say? You know, it's like, God doesn't even let Adam off the hook. Do you know what happens when, when you blame? You lose power. You lose authority. Because as soon as you blame, you give the power to someone else. You say, no, 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 because of somebody else had power. Somebody else, the acceptance of responsibility is the acquisition of authority. The rejection of responsibility is the relinquishing of authority. Jesus said this in Matthew 28, 18. He said, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Ah, oh, that's because God's got favourites. Yeah, is He's kid. Of course He's going to... No, 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 no. This is Jesus who has just risen from the dead. See, I'm not sure if you realise this, but when Jesus hung on the cross, He ain't done nothing wrong. Two thieves are on either side of Him. One guy is just like, hey man, you know, if you're really who you say you are, save yourself and save us. And the guy on the other side rebukes Him and says, man, shut up. Are you serious? This guy's done nothing wrong. We're here because of our crimes. This man is innocent. Jesus picked up a cross for my sin. As He's carrying the cross, all my sin is put, being put on Him. 
He did none of the things that I did. And yet he went to the cross because he took responsibility for my mess. He took the full weight, the full gravity of the responsibility for my sin on the cross. Jesus hung on the cross in an intercession role, in an atoning role to say, Father, everything Jürgen's done wrong, all the wrath and all the judgment and all the curse and all the punishment that should fall on Him redirected to me, I will take responsibility for everything He did wrong. Jesus did that for the entire world. Jesus did that for mankind. Because He accepted total responsibility, He was able to on the third day rise again from death saying all authority, all authority. The devil is deceiving a generation saying you're a victim and as long as you got a hashtag, a hashtag is better than authority. As long as you got a hashtag and a badge, that's better than, but I'm telling you, when it comes to dealing with the devil, he don't listen to no hashtag, but he does respond to authority. You were created to win. You were created to be more than a conqueror. You were created to overcome. You were cre created to drive out evil. You were created to bust down the devil. You were created to slay giants. To do that, you need authority. The only way you can get authority is you gotta stop blaming others. Oh man, I'm out of time, I'm out of time, I'm out of time. <clears throat> the number one, the number one cited reason for divorce in the 21st century is this, irreconcilable differences irreconcilable differences and and you know another Hollywood celebrity couple are parting ways you know they're divorcing for irreconcilable differences do you know what irreconcilable differences is irreconcilable differences are we were both right and we were both wrong but neither of us were willing to communicate and concede in the book of Song of Solomon she says, let us catch the little foxes, the little foxes that spoil the vine. Because all of us have little foxes that will kill a relationship. Resentments, bitter judgments, betrayals, disappointments. And unless you deal with the little, the little foxes, unless you take responsibility. I've learned in my marriage to try to race Leanne to be the first person to apologise. I've tried to, to be in the place where even when I think I'm right, I'm smart enough or dumb enough now after 28 years to understand that there is a way that seems right to a man, but it's in, in the end it leads to death. That we see in part, we prophesy in part, we know in part, that we see through a glass darkly. So I don't have the complete picture. I understand my car has to have little blinking things because I have blind spots. So I realise that no matter how right I am or think I am and how wrong I believe Leanne is, there could be a percentage where I may just not see. And so rather than rush to judgment, I say, babe, this is what concerns me. However, why don't you tell me? And it's amazing in that moment, oh, shoot. 
It's amazing if we break the blame cycle. You don't win anything. You And all we do is we just... I found the key to a great relationship. Intimacy. Everybody wants intimacy. Pornography promises intimacy, but there's no intimacy. It's all shallow. Intimacy is literally into me see. Into me see is the most vulnerable vulnerable position, but a blamer never has intimacy. I want intimacy with my wife. So I realize I've got to stop blaming and throwing stones and instead start asking, tell me, darling, I've obviously upset you. How could I have done things better? Help me to understand. How are you processing? Now, it's taken us 28 years to get here, but I've got to tell you, the blessing that's released, the favour that's released, if you'll become what God has called you to become, if you'll follow the recipe and if you'll break the blame cycle, you'll find yourself not only flourishing, having the best marriage, having the best relationships, having the best family, but you'll find that you are literally making war on the endangered species, which is the family. Come on, if you believe that today, give God a praise. Give God a praise. Would you close your eyes? And if you're watching online, we want to extend this invitation to you too. Maybe you're here and you're away from God, far from God, disconnected from God. You're the first group of people I want to pray for. If that's you tonight, friend, come back. Maybe you once walked with God. Maybe the Word was once preeminent and first and foremost in your life, but you know that you've maybe gotten lukewarm. Maybe you've kind of allowed the world's voice to dominate the Word's voice in your life. And today you're realizing, no, I need to come back and make the Word first and make the Word final in my life. If that's you tonight, would you quickly give me a wave of your hand and I'm going to pray for you. You're away from God, far from God. You've drifted. Thank you. Thank you. Who else is there? Thank you. Anybody else? Would you lift your hand? Thank you. Thank you. Anybody else? Thank you. Anybody else? I'd love to pray for you. Thank you. Once I've seen your hand, you can put it down. Thank you, darling. Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you over there. Anybody else? Love to pray for you. While our heads are bowed, oh, thank you, another one, thank you. While our heads are bowed and our eyes closed, say these words out loud. Say, Heavenly Father, I want to thank you. You so love me. You sent Jesus, your only Son, on a rescue mission to save my life. Jesus, when you died on the cross, you broke the power of sin. You broke the power of the devil over my life. I am free and forgiven. Today I am a child of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening. To find out more about our locations, team, and what we do here at Awakened Church, go to awakenedchurch.com.